0: Hello again. I'm Richard Figge, and this is for Reading Out Loud. Thanks for joining me this evening. Well recently here in Worcester, Ohio, there was a contest sponsored by downtown Worcester for the best historical fiction short story set here in Worcester. The best entries have now been published in a volume entitled Worcester Tales 2021. Tonight it is my pleasure to share with you the winner of the first prize, The Odd Fellow," by Max Willie Fisher. Born into an immigrant family, Max was raised in a village named after an exotic northern African seaport, Mogador, Ohio. Well, with that type of background, no wonder he grew up with an innate love of history. A four-decade teaching career convinced him that history should be a vibrant, well-told story, not the dry sawdust of textbooks. Now retired, Max lives with his wife and trusted four-legged companions, Cooper, Lucy, Bunny, and Izzy. Here is his story, The Oddfellow, presented here by the kind permission of the author. It has been said that while he has been at pains to get the historical information straight, he never does it at the expense of story and characters. See if you don't agree. It's December 1918, and life in Worcester, Ohio is a complex milieu of relief at the end of World War One the ongoing Spanish influenza pandemic and trying economic times as inflations has soared to an average of 18%. The various stressors combine to give a fictitious printer, a member of the philanthropic Oddfellows Lodge a series of life-altering experiences. The Oddfellow by Max Willie Fisher. Next, the bank teller's command came across as a clash of climatic symbols in Eric Hanshu's throbbing head. Smudges of lamp black and oil still stained his fingernails, while the stench of turpentine clung to the passbook he handed through the steel cage's counter. I'd like to withdraw three dollars and fifty cents, please. Hanshu needed to pinch a few dollars to get him through the forthcoming week. The gray-haired teller gave the printer a wary glare before mindlessly stamping the savings account book and sliding it back to its owner. In the shadow of his black visor, he counted out three crisp one-dollar bills and pushed them out along with two quarters. "'Eric!' Bank official Harold Higgins called out in friendly recognition from a short hallway beyond the last teller cage. Hanshu pocketed his billfold and the loose change— as he walked with an awkward gait toward his acquaintance. Higgins grinned and grabbed Hanshu by one arm. The two men shook hands, while Higgins, mouth slightly agape, cocked his head and stared into Hanshu's eyes. Hanshu smiled. The eye doctor calls it heterochromia. His words came out with a slight but recognizable German accent. What? Higgins led Hanshu into an office down the hall. "I have two differently coloured eyes, one brown and one blue. Oh, it has a name, does it? I'm sorry for gawking, Eric." Higgins allowed his visitor to enter his office first. "I was going to ask you about your eyes at the last Odd Fellows meeting." "That's quite all right, Harold." Hanshu chuckled as he ran his hand over the walnut chair rail. "'which separated the white plaster walls from the deeply grained wainscoting. "'When I was a small boy, my grandmother told me that she knew I would communicate with ghosts "'some day because of my different eye-colouring. "'And have you?' "'After closing the door, Higgins moved a small leather armchair from one corner of the room "'to the front of his desk. "'I mean, have you ever encountered ghosts?' "'No,' Hanshu grinned. "'At least, not yet.' He hung his overcoat on a brass hook of an oak garment-tree behind him. The fortyish ish Higgins walked behind his desk and stood over a short pile of papers resting before him. "'Please, have a seat.' The printer's forehead smoldered with an embryonic fever. He lit a cigarette, hoping it might soothe his aching head. He looked upon the middle-aged banker as if he were an undertaker. Dressed in a black suit with coat-tails, white shirt, and black bow-tie, Higgins always seemed to have a ready-made smile, as if his mouth were permanently wired for optimism. Incandescent light reflected off pinpoints of sweat sprouting out of his receding hairline. Hanshu knew Higgins was prepared to dig his financial grave. After seating himself, the banker's grin collapsed as he took his pipe from his ashtray and held it in his hand. "'There's no way to dance around this, Eric,' he looked Hanshu in the eyes. "'You're going to receive a demand letter early next week. You've missed three payments, two on your business mortgage and one on your home, totaling two hundred dollars. Any further missed payments, coupled with the absence of restitution of the two hundred dollars, can and will lead to foreclosure.' Like a judge gaveling his ruling, Higgins pounded his pipe, emptying its burnt residue into a square glass ashtray. Hanshu removed a cigarette from a silver case his father had gifted him as a farewell present and lit it. I figured this was your mission, Harold. He dropped the spent match into another glass ashtray on the edge of Higgins's desk. Higgins focused on the bowl of his pipe as he stuffed fresh tobacco into it. "'I've already stuck my neck out for you, Eric. That's why you didn't get the demand letter after the first missed payment. I told folks here that you're good for it.' He looked up. Unlike the altruism of the Order of Oddfellows, that's about as charitable as the Wayne County National Bank is going to get. With an unlit pipe in his mouth, Higgins's fingers began an incessant drumming on the gathered documents—' "'Somehow you need to come up with the funds for the missing payments fairly soon. I know the war has impacted your shop, probably more than any other small business in the city, what with you drafted and your injury.' The banker spoke through teeth clenched onto the pipe-stem. "'By the way, how's the leg doing?' Without waiting for a reply, Higgins drew air into the stem of his pipe as he touched a match's torch to the bowl. Pipe and cigarette-smoke mingled in an exotic dance above the desk which separated the two men. "'Oh, you mean my foot?' Hanshu inhaled more nicotine, praying for relief. "'It acts up with the change in weather. Ha! I lost two toes but gained a barometer.' "'That's right.' Higgins lightly smacked the top of his black desk with his free hand. "'Funny! How you go to serve your country, and before you get out of Camp Sherman—' Some drunk conscript shoots your foot off, thinking you're the Kaiser. Higgins leafed through a series of documents with nimble dexterity, flipping each page from the bottom right corner with his thumb in honed precision. What's the status of your material outlay? The varnish base, the pigments, the solvents. Hanshu withdrew the half-spent cigarette from his mouth. They've all risen with the premium placed upon our resources during this time have you? That's not even mentioning the cost of the steel typesets, and replacement parts for my presses. I'm paying twenty-five percent more for my steel.' Henshue's cigarette bobbed up and down between two fingers as if he were conducting a symphony. "'Perhaps now that the Kaiser has been defeated my prices will stabilize?' "'Yes, hopefully so.' Higgins looked up and sat back in his leather chair, puffing away on the stem of his pipe, Perhaps you could reduce labor costs to fatten your bottom line. Hanshu looked up at the suspended, frosted globe diffusing light throughout the room, and exhaled a long stream of smoke. He lowered his gaze toward Higgins. I was drowning, and three men pulled me into the boat. Higgins's eyebrows arched. I'm not sure I follow you. Hanshu stroked his blond moustache with his thumb and forefinger as he stared past the banker's shoulder and lost himself in the darkened brick wall outside the lone office window. "I employ three men-three men who kept my business alive while I went into the army and then recovered from my wound. After rescuing my life's work, which of them should I kick out into the cold?" He crushed the cigarette butt into the glass receptacle. Besides, I must be able to meet the capacity to fulfill potential orders or risk losing jobs to my competition. Yes, yes, I understand. Capitalism is competitive by its very nature." Higgins drew several times upon his pipe-stem, releasing small puffs of aromatic smoke. Hanshu watched his dark, pencil-thin moustache contract and expand with each inhalation. Eric. "'You undertook this mortgage two years ago, when your then-employer, Mr. West, passed away, and you—' "'Yes! It was an opportunity that I could not let go by. I mean, the man had no relatives, and—' "'Ah, yes. A lone relative in New York didn't want to be bothered with the estate, and you borrowed fifteen thousand dollars to purchase the house and business. I must agree it was quite a deal, and probably worth the risk.' The bank orchestrated all of this at your behest, but—' Higgins leaned toward Hanshu. It is in the business of making money. Higgins put down his pipe, exhaled, and supported his chin with his thumb and forefinger. "'I hope the Christmas season helps you out. Perhaps more business will come your way this month.' The banker stood up and stepped around his desk. Hanshu stood up, and removed his coat from the wooden pole behind him. That may be easier said than done, with the mayor closing the schools and churches because of the sickness. I've often relied on them for side orders to support my business. Smoke streamed out into the hallway as Hanshu opened the door. Then he turned back toward his brother lodge member. Nothing personal, Harold, but Mr. West always told me, Boy, banks are a necessary evil— Don't be overly beholden to them. Perhaps I am. Higgins joined him in the doorway. I'm sure he did, Eric. Then again, besides the sale of his properties, he also left his heir a tidy sum within the vault of our institution. He knew how to butter his bread. Higgins extended his right hand, and the two shook. As you said, it's nothing personal, Eric. It's just business.' "'You know, Harold, Mr. West was German also. Westermann was his original name. His family came to Worcester right after the Civil War. That was his parents' house that I bought. Really?' The banker's eyes widened a bit. "'I didn't know that.' Hanshu fought off a strong gust and opened the large oak-framed door to the pharmacy a few doors west of the bank. Before he headed to his Grant Street residence, he sought potent relief from his headache. A small bell at the top of the door announced his entry to the West Liberty Street store. From just inside the entrance, he surveyed the narrow but deep confines of the drugstore. Despite three windowless walls and night pouring through the storefront glass, the establishment was brightly lit. Two rows of six globed lights each "'hung from the copper-tin embossed ceiling. "'A female soda-jerk stood behind a counter on the left, "'partially hidden by several jars of penny candy. "'His head still pounding, Hanshu gave her a gracious smile and nodded. "'His mission lay at the back counter, "'where Mr. Wallace, the druggist, "'dispensed his medical miracles under a string of penance "'promoting the recently renamed College of Worcester.' A line of several people waited in front of Hanshu, while a few folks enjoyed ice cream sodas at nearby wooden tables. While waiting, a Christmas card display caught Hanshu's attention. One card featured a traditional German Christmas tree with lit candles, spiced cookies, sparkling glass ornaments, and an angel on the crown. The card whisked his memory to the life he left behind. Already a journeyman printer, Fourteen years earlier, Erich Hanschu lived with his family in a stately home overlooking the Weser River in Bremen, Germany. His father, a master printer, had charted a similar course for his four sons. Even though the next to youngest Hanschu boy relished following in his father's footsteps, Erich chafed under the boorish militarism of the Kaiser's imperial rule, He had no desire squandering three years in the Army come his twentieth birthday. A friend who had immigrated to the United States sent him several encouraging letters extolling the opportunities within a prosperous farming community, Worcester, Ohio. With an American surname translated directly from his German one at Ellis Island, Eric arrived in Worcester with his box of printer's tools and ten dollars. "'Please, Mr. Wallace, my mom needs the aspirin tablets. She's sick.' A young boy's pleas ushered Hanshue back to reality. Directly in front of him the boy stood with his tweed cap barely reaching countertop level. "'I'm sorry, Danny,' the pharmacist countered, "'but the twenty-five cents your mother gave you to buy the smallest bottle of aspirin isn't nearly enough. It costs ninety-five cents. But my mom's sick.' really sick. She's got a fever.' Tears trickled down his freckled cheeks. "'I'll bring the rest of the money tomorrow, Mr. Wallace, I promise. Sorry, Danny. I don't allow credit in my store at any time to any one.' With a white moustache flanked by flushed cheeks, the pharmacist started to replace the aspirin onto its display rack. "'You best be getting along to your mother. She probably needs your help. Here, allow me, Mr. Wallace.' Hanshu withdrew a dollar bill and handed it to the druggist. This is for the boy's bottle of aspirin. Wallace cocked his head and gave Hanshu a curious stare, hesitating just long enough that Eric wasn't sure whether his distinctive eye coloring or his generosity was being questioned. Very well, Mr. Hanshu, as you wish. A bell rang as Wallace rang up the sale on his cash register he handed the bottle of pills to Danny, and the nickel in change to the printer. "'Gee, thanks, mister!' Danny ran the sleeve of his coat across his runny nose. "'Tell your mother that I hope she gets well very soon.' Hanshu pointed to the soda-counter. "'And, Danny, take this nickel and get yourself some penny candy from one of those jars over there.' "'Gee, thanks, mister!' The boy wasted no time in making his choices with the help of the female clerk "'after she shot a warm smile Hanshu's way. "'Who knows the last time his mother had the need to buy aspirin?' "'With palms flattened on the counter and his head down, "'Wallace mumbled to no one in particular. "'The last customer left. "'Eric pushed for a bit more clarification. "'Excuse me? "'Oh, a couple years back a quarter probably would have bought "'those two dozen aspirin pills. "'Not now. "'What happened?' well the war and those damned huns uh... the druggist's head jerked back his teeth almost clamping down on his tongue forgive me mr hanshu i meant no offense to you don't think anything of it hanshu shook his head well as i was saying the war has driven up prices as i'm sure you're aware of and up to recently the germans had the only manufacturing facility for the stuff well i need a bottle hanshu dug another dollar out of his wallet my head is about to explode! A narrow beam of sunlight streaked through where the bay window drapes refused to meet. Eric Hanshu lay sprawled on his living-room couch, covered in two wool blankets. The rose patterns on the wallpaper appeared diffused together as he sat up. With alternating chills and fever, he decided on the living-room space since the upstairs bedroom suffered from a lack of efficient heat flow from the coal furnace beneath him. Hanshu's arm flailed as he unsuccessfully reached for the candlestick phone perched on the end table next to the couch. The failed attempt convinced him a cup of coffee—no, tea with lemon—would be his first order of business before calling his doctor. Opening the sliding pocket doors, he cursed as he stubbed his toe— Stumbling into the dining room. His clumsiness stirred the mouse beneath him. Shortly after moving in two years earlier, he noticed a perpetual squeak in the oak flooring in that doorway. A raised joint accounted for the noise. Immersed in his business, Hanshu never took the time to remedy the minor fault. Instead, nicknaming it Mouse represented his feeble attempt at rationalizing its existence. Not confident in his aching legs and occasional vertigo, Hanshu drank his tea at the kitchen table before shuffling back to the living room. After calling his doctor, he found little rest on the couch. One thing plagued him: work orders for receipt booklets for Kaufmann's wallpaper and music shop on South Market, and a thousand-count letterhead for a local attorney needed to be readied by today. He couldn't afford to dissatisfy any customer with tardiness. He called Ben Beckman, his right-hand man in the printer's shop, and explained the situation with halting breaths. Ben promised to come over directly. It became incumbent that the printer trek across the room to the black-varnished secretary. Hanshu fought off a dizzy spell, catching just enough of a teaback chair's padded seat with his backside he lowered the desktop. With fever igniting anew, he struggled to sandwich a sheet of carbon paper between two work-order forms. Pencil in hand, he started writing the details of the attorney's order. Dizziness wouldn't let go yet, but his hand kept writing. He kept at the task as if in a cloud, isolated from the space around him. Through rote memory and mechanized writing, he repeated the process for the Kaufmann order as well. The shrill door-ringer startled him back to consciousness. Ben Beckman and a masked Doc Snyder waited on his porch. "'Morning, Doc,' Hanshu gasped as he allowed the physician entrance. He thrust the master copy of the work orders out the door to Beckman. "'Morning, Ben. You don't want to hang around here. Trust me.' Beckman gave a weak smile nodded as he took the paperwork, and left. Through a gauze mask Doc Snyder told him nothing extraordinary—bed rest, take a laxative, and eat lots of good food. He should take an aspirin pill three times a day, but no more, lest he succumb to aspirin poisoning. A nurse would be sent to check on him during the upcoming days. Snyder attached the obligatory quarantine sign on his front door before departing. Just as welcome sleep was about to rescue Hanshu from his misery, the phone's incessant clatter burrowed through his head from ear to ear. Ben called, questioning strange writing on the Kaufmann order. Towards the bottom of the work order, something was written in German. Beckmann's tongue mangled the words to the point that it forced a clueless hanshu off the couch to retrieve the carbon copy from the secretary. Astonished, he read the words he'd scrawled at the bottom of the order. "'Mäuschen braucht deine Hilfe.' "'The little mouse needs your help,' he repeated in utter confusion over the phone. Eric? Beckman begged a reply after a long silence. "'It's nothing, Ben. It's complete silliness. I have no idea what I was writing. Cross it out.' He replaced the earpiece on its cradle." Before he reclined on the couch, he turned and looked at the floor near the dining-room. He vowed to fix it as soon as he got well. Two days later, the door-ringer awakened him around noon. Hanshu's chills had subsided, however his body ached from neck to foot as if someone had attacked him with a sledgehammer. "'It's open,' he rasped. Fighting for sleep, the perfect elixir for his ills, he cared little who entered. The smell of lilac navigated its way through his congestion, arousing his senses in a gentler, yet more potent manner than the ringer ever could have hoped to do. "'Good afternoon, Mr. Hanshu. I'm Nurse Collins.' A velvety voice seemingly delivered each word on a down pillow. It prompted one eyelid to spring open.' A soft touch on his shoulder, followed by a tender hand on his forehead, succeeded in opening the other eye. "'May I take your temperature, please?' Silky-brown hair stuck out beneath her arched nurse's cap. Her chocolate-brown eyes sat above a gauze mask that hid the lower features of her face. As she brought the thermometer down towards his mouth, she stopped and twisted her head a mite. She blinked a time or two before inserting the instrument in his mouth. I don't think I've ever encountered someone with two different-colored irises. Her smooth, supple hand reminded him of an angel's wing. She can't be older than thirty at the most. Hanshu was still looking for the one. In his fourteen years in Worcester, he'd been invited to various chaperoned functions where either a customer, friend, or church member— "'tried to pawn off a daughter, cousin, or spinster acquaintance. "'How have you been since Dr. Snyder saw you on Saturday?' "'She held the thermometer up to read it. "'I feel a bit better. The chills are gone as is the nausea.' "'Even so, his spirits slumped as the sight of a wedding band ended his fantasy. "'But not the fever hundred one. She shook the thermometer and returned it to a medical bag. "'Have you been eating?' "'Probably not enough. I was going to heat some soup that I have in the kitchen cupboard.' "'You really need to eat, Mr. Hanshu. Allow me to heat the soup. "'Kitchen?' He pointed toward the dining-room entrance. "'Is there a special kind you like?' The mouse squeaked as she walked toward the kitchen. "'Chicken noodle would be fine.' He sat up and something rustled between him and the back of the sofa. The sofa cushion pinned the carbon of the Kaufmann work order. He looked at it again and wondered why in God's name had he written that trivial comment on it. Nurse Collins called him to the kitchen. He purposely paused and stepped on the faulty boards. Exerting pressure with the ball of his right foot, he forced the mouse to squeal twice before walking into the kitchen. I found everything quite easily. The nurse stood in full profile, next to a steaming bowl of the soup on the table, along with a spoon and a box of crackers. Hanshu speculated his illness was worth crossing paths with this woman, even if the encounter lasted no longer than the flowery scent that followed in her wake. Although her blouse suffocated under her nurse's sleeveless smock, she struck a fetching figure. "'Nurse, would you mind sitting with me for a few moments?' Married though she be, her mannerism seemed as pleasing to Hanshu as the beauty with which the unmasked part of her face teased him. "'I can spare a few minutes. Besides, I can verify your intake of nourishment.' Creases above her mask gave away her smile. "'I trust you and your husband have been spared this scourge.' Nurse Collins looked toward the kitchen window, a tear seeping out of the corner of one eye. "'I've just gotten over it. You're my first patient in almost two weeks. My husband died in France this past spring.' Hanshu gagged as the soup went down his throat as molten molasses. "'I'm so sorry. I—I apologize for ever mentioning him.' "'Don't,' she said, placing her hand on his left arm. "'You didn't know.' and I've had six months to come to grips with it. Some days are better than others, but the reality will never change. He lost himself in the misty ponds of her eyes as he lowered the spoon. Life can be very unpredictable. He allowed the spoon to rest in the soup, and placed his right hand on top of hers. You have my deepest sympathy, my dear Nurse Collins. She bit lightly on her lower lip, released her hand from his arm, and stood up. "'I must go now. Please don't get up. I can see my way out.' Hanshu sucked in the lingering lilac scent as medication for what he'd been missing in life. "'Cigar?' Burley James Briggs, director of the Worcester Board of Trade, pulled two out of the inside of his suit-coat. While not a usual cigar-smoker, the earthy smell tempted Hanshu beyond resistance. "Cuban?" The double chinned Briggs nodded as he placed the end of his cigar between his teeth and handed the other to Hanshu. "Why, thank you. I'll save this for this evening." The printer tucked the cigar inside his coat pocket. Briggs bit off the end of his cigar and spat it in a wastebasket in the lobby of the People's Savings Building. He escorted his fellow businessman from the Board of Trade office, where the two had met for the past twenty minutes. "'Well, Eric, you can be assured that your magnanimous two-thousand-dollar donation to the children's house will be greatly appreciated. And you will—' Hanshu kept his overcoat draped over his arm as the mid-April sun warmed the lobby. "'Rest assured in your anonymity.' Briggs's blue-gray eyes looked directly at Hanshu through a fresh cloud of tobacco smoke. "You and I will be the only ones to ever know of the gift, and I will be sure to obtain a receipt from the children's home for the donation and send it to you via my home address for the sake of complete privacy and your assurance." "Thank you very much, Jim." Hanshu clamped onto Briggs's meaty hand. "I want to help counter the forces of misfortune those children have already suffered." The business leader ambled toward the door. "'You know, people are noticing how your shop has bounced back from hard times.' Briggs patted Hanshu on the shoulder, before pulling him closer. "'Continued success, Eric. Worcester is glad to have men like you amongst us.' Hanshu offered a sheepish nod and left the People's Savings Building with coat in hand. He planned to return to his print shop on East Liberty, when he spotted a mother and child on the sidewalk in front of him, approaching the corner of East Liberty and North Market. The mother, her eyes peeled on the printer, stood bent at the waist with her son whispering in her ears. As she rose, the shadow from her broad-billed hat lifted. "'Nurse Collins?' Hanshu blurted out, within a few strides of the two. "'Mr. Hanshu, it's good to see you well again.' Her glimmering smile buoyed his spirits. He lost himself in her liquid-brown eyes, which beckoned him for a reply. Heart overruled mind. Please call me Eric. A well-proportioned nose rested atop a mouth with supple lips the pinkish color of crabapple blossoms. Ah, so this is your son. If I remember correctly, it's Danny, right? The young boy beamed and nodded. You have quite a memory, as does Daniel. He just told me that you were the one that bought the aspirin for me last December when I struggled with the influenza." She brushed a loose strand of her brown hair away from her eyes, which remained fixed upon him. He seemed in a desperate situation. It was my pleasure to help, Nurse Collins. Lenora. A slight smile exposed a pair of symmetrical dimples. We were just on our way to Boyd's for an ice cream soda. The tip of her tongue peeked out of her mouth. Would you care to join us, Eric? Hanshu looked left, down East Liberty toward his shop, before smiling at the nurse. I'd be delighted, Lenora. You have been listening to The Odd Fellow by Max Willie Fisher. I'm Richard Figge, and this has been for Reading Out Loud. Please let me know what stories or authors you would like to hear. Drop me a line, if you will, at rfiggy. that's R-F as in Frank, I-G-G-E, at worcester.edu. That's it for tonight. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy, stay safe, all the best.